Revelation chapter 18, if you have your Bibles. We have been talking about, for a couple of weeks, we've been talking about the oncoming destruction of Babylon. Tonight, the destruction is described in terms that explain a bit of why and that tell us just how devastating it will be. Before we get in um, to the scripture, I do want to kind of note something for you, something that is... I, it's very critical that you know we do not have old salt at our house. Carrie corrected me. She has recently bought salt, so our salt is fresh. Okay. Um, yeah, she she was mad at me too. She was like, "You better tell him." So, so I have told you. Um, yes. Yeah, so our salt is good. So if you come to our house, don't be afraid of the salt. It's fine. Uh, oh, the pepper. I can't say anything about the pepper. I, I don't. I don't know about the pepper. We got a thing of peppercorns, and for a while we didn't have anything to crush them with. We didn't have a pepper crusher kind of thing. Um, and then when we finally got one, well, we don't use a whole lot of pepper at a time, and so we've still got that thing of peppercorns. So anyway, anyway neither here nor there. In all seriousness, um, in Revelation 18, we see the fall of Babylon, but we see it uh, from a, a little bit different perspective. We're, we've seen it in advance. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The declaration goes out a couple of chapters before it happens. Last chapter, we saw once again this one that's riding the beast, thinking she's in charge until the beast turns on her and destroys her right at the end of the chapter. This time, we're going to see a little bit more of what, what it is that Babylon does wrong. I talked about last time uh, I've talked about the fact that Babylon represents the enemies of God, and I've talked about the fact that it, it, it kind of takes on this religious system with this political system kind of morphed into one where, um, where it's, it's a form of idolatry that is ruling. Think of Caesar being worshipped as Lord in ancient Rome. It's that kind of a system. But there's another aspect to it that we didn't really talk much about last time that goes hand in hand with it, and that's the economic side. You see, if man is going to oppose God, from the very beginning of man opposing God, um, just after the Garden of Eden, uh, men begin to grow, and they're kind of, sort of, starting to spread out, but not really. And then they decide, you know what? Instead of spreading out all over the world like God told us, let's all get together and let's build a tower to reach up to heaven, right? And they do this at Babel. And I, and I, a few weeks ago, I explained that that even from the very inception of Babylon, at the building of that tower, there was always this opposition to God. What men have figured out over the last few few millennia um, is that if you're going to oppose God, you can't just fight him on one front. Like you can't just say, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna live according to what you say, except in this one little area. Because what tends to happen is, well, that kind of falls apart. So you have to oppose him on all fronts. You gotta like completely be against him. This is why you can't have Jesus as a vacuum attachment, because eventually you're gonna throw away the attachment. Eventually you're gonna find an attachment that works better, that you like better, and you're gonna use that one all the time, and you're never gonna use the Jesus one. It's gonna get packed up away in a closet somewhere. You're gonna be cleaning it out, and you're gonna say, Oh, well, I don't need this anymore. Throw it in the trash. 
or your kids are going to have to clean it out after you die. And they're going to find this little attachment and say, what is this? I don't even know what this is for. Sell that. Put it, put it in the estate sale. Or, or I don't know what it goes to. Just get rid of it. Take it to Goodwill. Throw it away. It looks broken. Throw it away. You see, what, what tends to happen when you try to make God part of your life, and that's part of what I was getting at this morning with discipleship, he, he, he can't take part. He, he, has, he has to have the whole. And when you try to only make him part and try to oppose him on another part, those things are just going to clash. They're going to collide. They're not going to mesh together. And so what you end up having to do is either submit to God in everything, which is the right answer, or the wrong answer, submit to God in nothing. And so this system gets created where men are trying to do everything they can to avoid God. And in their avoiding of God, what they're doing is they're setting up everything to go against him. This false religion, this idolatry of self-gratification that comes is represented by Babylon in, in this chapter. And that, that, that type of living expands into the economic realm, as you'll see in just a moment. And so when Babylon falls, it's not just the fall of an ideology. It's the fall of a practice, of a way of life. And it's a devastating fall because everybody has a part to play in it that's not of the Lamb. Chapter 18, let's look in verse 1. After, I saw, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. I, one day, I should just go back through Revelation and count all the different angels, because there's tons of them. Have you ever noticed that every time you turn around, there's another angel doing something? You'll see a couple of them in this chapter. It's like God is massing the whole of the heavenly host together and everybody's got a role to play. Man, couldn't we learn from that church? Anyway, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. <laughs> fallen is Babylon the great. Do you hear the irony? She who was once exalted is now fallen. That's the way it happens when you oppose God. You think you're great, and you end up falling. She has become a dwelling place for demons. Kids, I need you all to sit down and behave for your mother. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Well, there's, there's nothing left there for anything worthwhile. So all the unclean. Demons, spirits, birds, and beasts. They're the only ones living there because there's nothing there for humans. There's no more life there. Babylon, that used to be the great of the cities, that used to be standing shoulders, head and shoulders above the rest, that used to be home to the hanging gardens and the, the luscious palace of Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon that used to be the center, the beginning of America, of not American civilization, of human civilization. Babylon, the oasis in the desert, is now not even habitable. That's the way it happens when you oppose God. You think, you think that you're great and you're not. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And here we go. 
Now we see what has happened. She has intoxicated the kings of the world and the merchants of the world to doing her bidding. You see, when we oppose God, when we directly oppose him, we find that we go further and further and further away from him, whether we want to or not. What's the saying? Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Thank you. See, that's the nature of it. When you're opposing God, you think you can do anything. Pretty soon you find out that that only leads to your destruction. Oh, but a bunch of people are getting rich. Kings getting rich. They're fine with Babylon. They know how to work the system. They're the ones with the power. They're the ones with the armies. They're the ones with with the money and the control. Merchants, it doesn't matter how good or bad the White House is toward businesses. They will find a way to make a money, make money. They will find a way to make a profit unless they just get completely outlawed, right? Merchants are going to find a way to make money. And it doesn't matter what it is. You can find a merchant that will sell you just about anything. You can go to certain places and you can find merchants that will sell you stuff that's illegal. You can, you can go anywhere you want to go and you can find that if there is something, there is somebody trying to sell it. Doesn't matter what it is. Some of those things are good things. Some of those things are bad things. But you can buy them because there's always someone willing to make money. You see, when you oppose God, you can go to whatever lengths. You'll go to whatever lengths you have to. There's no restraint anymore. Maybe, maybe that's why uh, in Proverbs he says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Or in another version, the people perish. You see, when people don't have a sight for what God is doing, don't have a vision for who God is, when they're completely opposed to him, well, then it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to do. Part of the problem with the nation that we live in is that it was not meant for an immoral people. This republic was designed for a moral people. And so when you cast off morality, when you cast off a sense of right and wrong, when you cast off a knowledge of who God is and what he expects of you and a willingness and determination to try to live that out, when you throw away that, the there's no limits. You can make all the laws you want to. It ain't going to help. People will just disobey the laws. It doesn't matter whether the laws are good or bad. You cannot prevent someone who has no moral compass from falling into all kinds of sin. You weren't, you weren't supposed to. That's God's role. That's his aspect of this. And when we turn away from God and we follow our own pursuits and our own passions, all we end up doing is, is casting away all the boundaries and walking straight into a pothole because we've thrown away the orange cone that blocked us from getting there. We go straight into danger because we've torn down the barrier kept us away. We get the ire of mama because we messed with the pie before it was cool. And a burnt finger too. You ever put your finger in a pie when it was too hot? <laughs> you learn that you gotta wait a little while, huh? You see, when when you're opposed to God, there's just no stopping you. You'll you'll head straight for your disaster. Then I heard another voice from heaven, verse four Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins lest you share in her plagues. 
The concern is twofold here. If you don't get away from her, people of God, if you do not get out of Babylon, you will be become the same kind of person that are around you. You will take part in their sins. You will worship their gods. You will do the wicked things that they do. And then you're going to suffer the same fate as them because you're no longer my people. You're now the people of Babylon. You see, the problem is that when you allow that stuff to fester around you, you end up making yourself susceptible to it. it it's, it's, like, it's like a kid not washing their hands and then getting sick. Well, why do you think you got sick? Wash your hands, dummy. Like, no, with soap. <laughs> and water. Clean them real good. Get it all over there. If you don't take the necessary precautions, then things will happen to you. In Genesis, you can watch Lot. Lot, when he is first presented, is not presented as a bad guy. In fact, I think Lot probably was leaning more toward God than away from God. But then you see a phrase, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then he goes closer to Sodom, closer to Sodom, and then he's in Sodom. And before long, he's trying to prevent the people of Sodom from doing a bad thing. And he says, here, why don't you do that bad thing to my daughters instead of to these visitors? It's not exactly a good moral compass. And so the angels warn him and they say, get out. You've got to get out. You've got to get you and your family out. Get out. Run away. Don't look back. Why? Because destruction is coming. Same message here. Get out of Babylon. You've got to get out of Babylon, church. We cannot serve a world system that does not follow God's commands. We cannot allow ourselves to be caught in the midst of that. Now, does that mean we don't live in the world? No. Try not living in the world. <laughs> we kind of don't have a choice, do we? Maybe one day we'll, we'll plant a colony on the moon, but that one will be screwed up too because there'll be people there. I'm going to tell you something. We've got a lot of churches that are more comfortable in an ungodly society than they are in the book. We've got more church, we've got too many churches and too many churchgoers who are more comfortable with the way that things are around them than they are in God's house, in God's presence, following his commands. That, that, that's like a foreign world to them. But at the same time, that doesn't mean everybody go hide in a basement somewhere until this is all over until God just destroys everyone else and then it'll be safe to come out. Neither one of those is right. We are to be in the world, but I guess like salt, we're to do good. Not just make the earth a better place to go to hell from, but reduce the population of hell. You see, because each and every person, us, people outside this, this building, we're all going somewhere. When we die, there's one of two places we're going. And... We could try to make earth a better place to go to hell from, but that, that's, not, that's not what the church is called to do. There's plenty of groups that do a good job of trying to make things better here on earth. What we want to do is get more people out of hell and into heaven. That's our job. Our job is to make sure that the population increases in God's kingdom. And if we're going to do that, then we cannot be part of the world. Now, that doesn't mean we are not in the world. We are in the world. Unfortunately, this is the place where we have to live. Sorry. Unless you're an astronaut. And then, and then you get off the globe for a little while. We are going to be in the world, but we are not of the world. And if we are not careful, we will become of the world. We must remain 
holy while influencing those around us. It's a balance, but it's a balance that we have to strike. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. The word heaped here is like built, not just thrown on top of each other, but put together, constructed. Her sins constructed as high as heaven. That building that they were trying to build in Babel was, was supposed to reach up to heaven and they were trying to build this massive building directly to the throne of God and instead what they got was a whole pile of sins built up directly to the throne of God. It was not accolades. It was wickedness that they were building. So God has to tear it down. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come, watch this, in a single day. You ever had it all fall apart all at once? Anybody, they just seem like all at once. It just all fell apart. Okay, y'all, y'all, the rest of y'all hang on. It's coming. There are points when we all hit this. It's like, it just seems like all at once everything hits. Let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever had more than three things break in a single week? Like big items. That's funny, it's the same group. <laughs> Me and Carrie and, and y'all, uh, that was it. The funny thing was, it was all three cars, <laughs> the most recent one. We've had several instances of this. All three cars at the same time. We have three cars, two adults driving, and all three of them break with something wrong at the same time. It was, <laughs> oh man, that was bad. You see, sometimes it all hits at the same time, and it's overwhelming. This has been a long time coming, but the judgment is just going to hit out of nowhere. She doesn't see it coming because, well, she's too focused on herself. She's too focused on her fine clothes and on her her luxurious lifestyle, the, the bountiful food that's on her table, all the deals that she's having to transact, the treaties with other kings, the, the, the money-making ventures that she's engaged in. And all the while, she's the one making her own destruction. Death and mourning and famine, she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her and the kings of the earth. Remember the same kings that were against her at the end of chapter 17? They're going to look at her. Look at, look at this. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off. They like, they're the ones that are helping bring it about. And then they're going to back up and be, be like, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. The judgment of God swift and comprehensive. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Look at the cargo. Gold, silver, jewels, pearls, precious things, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, fine clothing, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, great building materials, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, 
wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, wonderful things to partake of, spices that make your home smell nice and your food taste good, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, the instruments of work and wealth. And then look at the last one, slaves. You see, when you're opposed to God, you don't care about other people. They're just another way to make money. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off. Again, they're, they're not getting close. They're way back in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been weighed laced. They don't even care about the city so much as all of the lost fortunes. You see, when you're opposed to God, all you care about is yourself. That's it. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter the people you have to trample in order to make more money. It doesn't matter the people that get destroyed in the wake of your path. That doesn't matter as long as you can keep cashing the check, baby. That's all that matters when you live in a system, when you are part of a system that is designed to be against God. And I'm going to tell you something. While I may not agree with what many people say, I do believe that greed is probably the bad, the worst part of the capitalist system is that it tends to breed more greed. I, I don't think any other system can really fix that. That's a problem in the human heart. I think only Jesus can fix that. You see, when you're against God, no one else matters. And as long as it's not you, but now it is going to be them. Because when that city falls, so do their economic empires. Who's going to buy? Who's going, who's going to sell? Where, where are they going to get their products from? Who, who's going to see the advertisements anymore? You see, when you turn away from God and it becomes all about your profit, your gain, your wealth, money makes a monster of a master and it turns you into a monster in the process. All the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? Boy, the irony of that is now destroyed. No city wants to be like that city anymore. And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. You see, when you're against God, you weep and mourn over your own financial loss. But these are the same people, these are the same people that it describes a little bit earlier. In chapter 16, during the seven bowls of wrath, the fourth bowl, they were scorched by fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. This same group of people that is weeping because they can't make any more money is stone cold in the face when faced with the judgment of God and unwilling to repent of their sin. Do you see the stark contrast here? You see, because something is going to bring you to your knees. 
Something is going to attack you. Something is going to bring you to repentance. And is that thing going to be your own wealth? Or is it going to be a recognition of your sin before a holy, almighty God? Because if it's not that, if it's just your wealth, if it's just the things that you lose, if it's just the things that you cherish so much that now you can't have anymore, then you deserve what's coming to you. When we put ourselves against God, we are destined to destruction. We may as well be signing our own death sentence because that's exactly what we're doing. The view from heaven, though, is it's a little surprising. Verse 20, rejoice. Wait, wait, wait. Rejoice? I mean, this is judgment. This is bad things happening here. How can this angel say, rejoice over her, O heaven? And you saints and apostles and prophets. How can he say that? I think of David praying against his enemies in several of the Psalms saying, Lord, destroy them. Lord, bring them to ruin as they have planned to bring me to ruin. And you think, how can a good, loving Christian just just pray that God would destroy someone? Let me tell you how. We, when you are so infatuated with God, when you are so in love with God that you want to see his kingdom come and his will done. And then you see someone else blatantly opposing him, killing his messengers, defying his orders. There's a part of you that says, Lord, you are just in your judgment. Please bring judgment. It's called, well, in the Psalms, they're called imprecatory Psalms. You don't rejoice because the other person's getting destroyed. You rejoice because the sin is getting dealt with. If God is to be a God worth loving, he, he better be a just God. Because if he's not just, how do I know that I'm not the next victim? But if he's a just God, if he judges sin, then I know that when he says, confess your sin and I will forgive you, that he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from, righteous, from unrighteousness. I cannot know that God is a holy God without also knowing that he is a just God. And sometimes that justice is worth rejoicing over. I'd much rather see Babylon come to its knees in repentance, but she won't. So I want to see God be just. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpist and the musicians of flute players and trumpeteers will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. And for your merchants, who were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Now we have the charge against Babylon. You deceived the nations. You killed the messengers of God. And now you are no more. When you oppose God, you're destined for destruction. There's no other way around. Father, I pray that we would not be found opposed to you. I found it interesting that throughout this book, we see the faithful, and they're always beside you. They're never opposite you. They're never facing you face to face. They're always with you, beside you, behind you. When the battle line is drawn at the end of the age, there will be those on the other side of the line looking at you, opposed to you, hating you, 
seeking to reign in their own hearts instead of you, seeking to bring your messengers to destruction, seeking to end your plans on this earth, seeking to have rule and majesty and authority themselves. The ones who love you are never on the other side of the line. They join you, and then they keep appearing where you appear. You're in heaven opening the scroll. They're under the altar singing your praises. You're standing on top of Mount Zion. They're right beside you. You're the groom and the great marriage feast that we're going to read about next week. They're the bride. Lord, I pray that we would not be found opposite you, but we would be found beside you. I pray that we would get out of Babylon, guard our hearts from the sins that are so rampant, guard our eyes, our ears, our mouths, hands and feet. Protect us from the sin at large. God, also keep us ever vigilant and always active to see new folks join by your side. Father, help us not be of Babylon. And help us bring new folks into your fold. Make us faithful. Lord, thank you for being in control. Thank you for reigning supreme and ruining the, the plans of evil men all the while doing the will that you had designed long before in eternity past. Use us for your glory this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.